Well, it's a great evening here at Valley Church. I like the energy. I like the visiting. So grateful, on a, especially on a cold, rainy night, that we can gather and we can sing joy to the world. We can be together. We can study the Word of God. We're really, really blessed. If I don't know you, my name is Leanne, and I am mom to Kristen Engel King and mother-in-law to Michael, or one of our pastors here at Valley. And Michael graciously invited me to share for two Sundays of Advent, and I'm really blessed and humbled that I get to do that. So last week, we talked about Mary and Joseph, and tonight we're going to move in a little bit different direction regarding the Christmas story. Um, I hope that you're having a chance to enjoy just the beauty of this season. I appreciate here at Calvary that they have a lot of lights. I think that's fabulous. Our grandson, Jack, who's four, he is teaching Mike and I the goodness of the blow-up decorations. You know what I'm talking about? Like the blow-up Santa, the blow-up Grinch, the blow-up Frosty. I mean, I probably didn't used to notice them very much, but I'm getting a radar because when we're with Jack, boy, he does not miss a single one. And here's one of his favorites. Let's see if we can get that on the... There he is. There's Jack. And do you know who that is behind him? Come on, somebody. The abominable snowman, of course, from Rudolph. That's just a few blocks from our house, so that's big news, and Jack loves the abominable. For me, I prefer the lights, and uh, let's see, next slide. That's not too far from where we live either, and I just, it, they make me so happy. Let me just ask you, how many of you put up lights at your house or your apartment or your dorm room or anything? Oh yes, I cheer for you. It's okay, it's okay if you don't, but anyway. Just some of the decor of the Christmas season. And the theme of light is really prominent in the advent, the arrival of Jesus. You know, the shining glory of the angels who came to the shepherds in their fields. The wise men following the star to, to see Jesus. Those are commonly known elements of light in the story of Christmas. But tonight we're going to look at a little bit different facet of light in Christ's birth. And we're, we'll look at four lesser-known characters in the Christmas story. And these individuals, they're of a different generation than Mary and Joseph, who we talked about last week. One of them, her name is Anna. She's 84 years old. I love that, that God intentionally included younger and older generations in the advent of Jesus, a reminder that each of us has great worth and great purpose at every age, every age. We all have great worth and great purpose. And so these two themes tonight are gonna to converge for our focus. I'm calling it light of the world, generation to generation. So let's pray and then we'll look into the scriptures together. Father, we thank you for the freedom to gather here at Valley Church I thank you for each of us that you brought together on purpose for a purpose. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us, to counsel us, to show us the things you'd like us to learn. And I would ask God, by your mercy and grace, that every person here would receive something specific from you tonight. Strength, hope, comfort, love. Wherever that we are, God, you would meet us tonight. We believe you to do that. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go back to Luke chapter 1, where we were last Sunday night, but we'll be looking at a different section. 
We'll be looking at uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 14, which is actually before uh, Mary's encounter with the angel. This is a conversation with one of our characters, excuse me, that we're going to focus on tonight. His name is Zacharias. So Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Wow, another angelic appearance. Last week, we had Gabriel appearing to Mary, and now here a little earlier in the book of Luke, we see Gabriel appearing appearing to Zacharias. My goodness. You know, this particular day in Zacharias' life was already amazing because he had been chosen by lot or by chance, but not really by chance, for the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to burn the incense in the most holy place. This is a very rare um, experience for a priest. Not everyone was even chosen, but Zacharias, this was the one day of his life he had been chosen to enter into the most holy place and offer the incense according to the Old Testament um, ordinances or, or laws. During his whole lifetime, a priest's name might never be chosen. But but Zacharias, on this particular day, was enjoying this very high honor and favor of God. And so then, when the angel appears, it's even another layer of an extraordinary day for Zacharias. It's interesting that his response is very similar to Mary. Last week, we read that, not surprisingly, when the angel came to Mary, she was troubled. She was afraid. I think we would all be the same. Tonight, if we were here gathered and kaboom right there was Gabriel, I think we would all be quite shaken. And and this is Zacharias' response. And I love that the angel replies so similar as he did to Mary, simply saying, do not be afraid, and then calling him by name. We saw last week that the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. And then to Joseph in a dream, do not be afraid, Joseph. And here, do not be afraid, Zacharias, that God knows us and he speaks to us by name. However, from here, the stories of Zacharias and Mary, they, they diverge because while Mary was, was only comforted with words of assurance of God's favor and good plans, 
Zacharias, he was severely reprimanded for his doubts. In verses 18 through 20, we, we recall, it says, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? After the, after the angel had made this announcement regarding Elizabeth being pregnant, <clears throat> excuse me, and Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. My wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered it and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be made mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Whoa, that's intense, right? Because he had these questions and doubts, the angel said, you, you will now not speak at all until this child is born. And there's no explanation that I'm aware of in the Bible of why Mary and Zacharias were treated so differently. At any rate, uh, we see that God deals with each of us, each person, on an individual basis as he deems best. There are things we simply do not understand. Now, we won't hear about Zacharias again until after his speech is restored, when John is born. He prophesies over his newborn son, who would eventually be known as John the Baptist. Zacharias prays a lengthy prayer of blessing, proclaiming the purpose for which God created John. In conclusion, Zacharias shifts from John to Jesus in this prayer of blessing. So we'll conclude Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79. So this is Zacharias speaking. He says, And you, child, speaking of John, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who, sat, who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Such artistic imagery in this language. The tender mercy of our God the day spring from on high, which has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. In the original language, this term day spring carries the meaning of rising of light from the east or, by implication, the dawn. My Bible's study notes define it as the Messiah. The day spring from on high, the dawn, the Messiah to shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And verse 79, it echoes Isaiah 9-2, which was written more than 700 years beforehand. This is just part of the prophecy of Jesus arriving. Zacharias here, he's affirming a powerful aspect of God's purpose for sending Jesus. Okay, so that's character number one of our lesser-known characters, that's Zacharias. Now we're going to shift to his wife, Elizabeth. And her role is quite different than that of her husband's. 
She is used by God to bring specific encouragement and care to young Mary. We read her story in Luke 1, 39 through 45. And it says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe, remember she had been barren, now she is pregnant, the the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Oh my goodness. Elizabeth is noted earlier as Mary's elderly relative. We don't know if she's a great aunt of Mary's or what the connection is, but they are related by blood. They are family. And she is, Elizabeth is Mary's elderly relative. Elizabeth, she's rejoicing in what the Lord is doing. She commends Mary's faith in taking him at his word. She also extends generous hospitality to Mary because in verse 56 we learn that Mary stayed with Elizabeth and Zacharias for about three months. So it was a safe place for Mary to go when she had so many questions, her body was changing so rapidly, she could go be with her elderly relatives, stay in their house for about three months, and be loved, be cared for. And we must remember that Elizabeth, again, is much farther along in life than Mary, Luke 1.36 describes Elizabeth as in her old age. So, so two lesser-known characters, both much older now than Mary and Joseph. And in Elizabeth, I see a marvelous example for those of us who are older. And yes, yeah, here we are. Or you know what? You may be older in the faith. You don't necessarily have to be chronologically older to step into this kind of a role of encourager. Encourager, and I appreciate Luke 145, specifically Mary, or excuse me, specifically, Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord, that we who are older in our faith have had more of a journey with Jesus. We can say, Yes, keep on believing. God is faithful, He will fulfill His word. He will bless you. Keep on believing. I really love this example from Elizabeth to Mary. You know, we see God using Zacharias and Elizabeth to come alongside Mary and Joseph in their sacred assignment. That's the term we used last week, talking about Mary and Joseph and their calling to be the earthly parents to Jesus. They had a sacred assignment very young in their lives, and now God is bringing along elders to encourage and cheer for them and help them in this journey. You know, in my life, I have been blessed with some precious elders to cheer me on in a similar fashion. My beautiful Jesus-following mama, 
She inspired me day by day until she passed away at age 89 last September 2020. Also, I was privileged to have a cherished colleague and friend while I taught at Corbin University. She was 30 years older than I, okay? I started at Corbin in my early 40s, maybe late, excuse me, late 40s, early 50s. So by this time, my, my friend, is she's 30 years further down the road. Her name was Ann Jeffers. She lived to be 91. I will always treasure the wisdom that I gleaned from this elder friend of mine, including this great phrase, which you might just want to grab hold of for yourself. Anne would say, if it's not fun, I don't want any part of it. She's in her 80s. If it's not fun, I don't want any part of it. She, she was joyful and she chose joy. And believe me, anyone that's lived into their 80s, they've walked through some unfun things, right? For those of you who attended Sprague High School, do we have any Ole graduates in the room tonight? Do you see any, any Sprague people? Way in the back, Michael's waving his hand. Well, I'll be that as it may. Um, there's something that goes on at Sprague High School called the Ole Pageant, and it raises money for Dornbecker Children's Hospital. It was begun in 1997, and over the years, uh, the students at Sprague, they've raised tens and thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of dollars to help children at Dornbecker. Well, that Ole Pageant was founded in honor of my friend Anne's granddaughter. One of the unfun things my friend experienced was her granddaughter died at age 16 of cancer. That's one of the, that was one of the many painful things that my friend Anne experienced. She also suffered a severe aneurysm in her brain in her 40s. She had to bravely endure the long process of relearning to walk, relearning to feed herself. She had many unfun experiences in her life, as, as we all do. But yet she would say, if it's not fun, I don't want any part of it. That, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of wisdom we can gain from people who are further down the road of life. They've watched God see us through. I love that so much. Anne went to be with Jesus just two years ago, but she'll always be with me in my heart. Okay, now we're going to shift to our last two lesser-known characters. A little bit later in Luke's account, their names are Simeon and Anna. See, more senior citizens that God wove into the tapestry of Jesus' arrival. Now, Elizabeth and Zacharias, they had their impact pre-birth, but Simeon and Anna, their influence comes after Jesus is born. So if we look in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32, we will read the stories of Simeon and Anna. So first, Simeon, Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, to the, do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Isn't that a glorious picture of this elder man, Simeon, holding the child Jesus, the baby, and declaring to God, thank you, you've granted me the promise that you gave, that I am seeing the salvation of Israel. A little bit later, just a couple verses down, we see that Simeon also reads or proclaims some very difficult words to to Mary. Going on, it says, And Joseph and his mother, Joseph and his mother, that means Jesus' mother, Mary, so Joseph and Mary, marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Very hard, but precisely true. So God used Simeon to declare more of the identity and plans for Jesus. And then finally, our older generations, we see Anna, continuing 36 through 38. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was of a great age, I like that phrase, a great age, and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. 84 years old, day and night, in the temple, fasting, giving thanks to God. Now, from our perspective, perhaps her life seems narrow. Perhaps it seems limited, that that was her scope, day in and day out. But yet we see God blessed and used her in a powerful and a purposeful way. Anna gave thanks to God. She spoke of Jesus to all who looked for redemption at age 84. She was vibrant with faith and with joy. And then God's intentional interweaving of generations in Christ's birth is powerful also in Mary's song of praise in Luke 1.50. We looked at it last week. It is called the Magnificat. It is a glorious proclamation of blessing to God even in the midst of so much uncertainty as Mary is pregnant with Jesus and one of the statements she makes there in Luke 1.50, Mary proclaims, And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Generation to generation. You know, part of the mercy of God, light of the world, generation to generation, is the light. God's light is mercy in our lives, spoken of by Zechariah, spoken of by Simeon. It's our lifeline of hope as we call upon Jesus. I've been using, for the last few years, I've been using an Advent devotional titled The Greatest Gift by Ann Voskamp. And here is a quote that I really appreciate that weaves in the themes we're talking about tonight. Ann Voskamp says, For unto us a child is born, 
The light never comes how you expect, how you expect it. It comes as the unlikely and the unexpected straight into Bethlehem. It doesn't matter how dark the dark is. A light can still dawn. God favors the darkest places so you can see his light, the brightest. I need to hear that this week. I needed to hear that this week. God favors the darkest places so you can see his light, the brightest. And you know, the truth of Jesus, it shines brightly throughout the Bible. Even in his own words, Jesus boldly declares in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He or she who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, as we gather this evening, we represent a broad span of life. Even in our, our numbers are not great, but I have a feeling we've got a pretty good span of life happening in this room, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Some of us are feeling strong. We're feeling upbeat. Others of us are weary, needing fresh hope, maybe sadness or anxiety, overshadowing joy. To me, Christmas is like a magnifying glass. If something is wonderful, then it's extra good, maybe even magical. But if it's hard, it can feel extra painful, lonely, bleak. I have had my share of both through the years, as I imagine many of you have as well. Last December, I wasn't sure I wanted to do Christmas at all. I was immersed in the deep grief of losing my dear mom. She had always made Christmas for me as a child, and, and even as an adult, she continued to bring a unique sparkle to the season, even from a distance, all the way in Montana. A wise friend had described to me grief as an expansive black hole inside. That was exactly how I felt. Last Christmas time, I just felt like I had an expansive black hole inside. In the midst of those days, God mercifully brought a little book to my attention. It's called When Holidays Hurt. When Holidays Hurt. Written by a woman named Bo Stern. And I eagerly read every page. I was grateful for the common ground of heartache and loss. I'm like, someone else knows how I feel. But thankfully, there was more. There was the assurance that just as the dawn would gently rise each morning, light would eventually, gradually illuminate my soul. And these words were especially helpful. Quote, enduring long grief can feel like waiting for the moment when the sun finally pierces through the inky sky and we are able to welcome the day. Because I haven't found any secrets for speeding up the sunrise, I've had to look for ways to invite the comfort of God into the very long, dark nights. 
These words from the prophet Micah have become a nightlight. Quote, Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Scripture is hauntingly honest. Though I sit in darkness, it will happen. Yet there is hope as we cling to God's promises and we cry out for his help. The prophetic statements quoted by Zacharias and Simeon speak not only of Jesus delivering us from the darkness of sin, but also the despair of this world. There is a life-giving consolation in the fact that God, because of his mercy, intentionally sent Jesus in to shine into the dark places And as it says in Luke 179, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now for me, the Lord consistently uses people of different generations, as well as my own, to bring light to my life. Now our grandchildren, they should be there in a moment, there they are. Nora is six, Jack is four, and Scout is two. They always bring us joy, and Kristen and Michael do also, but I'll say the little ones are something extra special there. The generations, it's just fun, you know? Whether people are older, younger, and you know, I mentioned my two elder cheerleaders, excuse me, my mom and my friend Anne, they're both with Jesus, but I still have a friend named Dot. I just love her name, Dot. She lives across the country in Virginia. She's in her 80s, and we stay in touch by a snail mail. And every time she writes me a card, she says, you are beautiful and I love you. You know, that's the kind of encouragement from an 80-year-old woman that means the world to my heart. I'm just so grateful that we have the privilege of that generation to generation partnership as we serve and love God. That is his desire. My friend Dot, she even still writes articles, Bible-based articles for her retirement home newsletter, and she sends them to me. It's just so beautiful. So, So whether we are older or younger, we have the gift of receiving and giving that mutual encouragement to one another, generation to generation, generation, generation. Light of the world, generation to generation. And then one final note related to darkness and dawning. Hmm. We cannot force its arrival. We cannot determine the timing. I think as Christians, we often believe if we just have more faith, we would emerge from the darkness more quickly. I've actually struggled with feeling guilty that I should be progressing toward healing at a faster pace. I worked with a very wise counselor at, and at one particular crossroads when I, I was sitting in her office and we were talking and I was telling her, I should, I should be healing, I should be doing better. And she just stopped me and she looked me straight in the eye with great love and she said, no grief in guilt. No, excuse, I got that totally backwards. Whoopsie, whoopsie, whoops. No guilt in grief. There we go. I was trying to have an impact. It really went backwards on me. So try again. No guilt in grief, okay? No guilt 
in grief. No guilt in grief. No guilt in grief. Whatever pace we need is the right pace. And it is an up and down and back and forth. I think I'm doing better and then I'm slammed down. And it's okay. It's okay. Just like the dawning of the sun, we cannot determine the timing. And we cannot force healing. We continue to say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you're going to bring me the light. I trust you're going to bring me the light. I feel all I can feel is darkness, but I'm, I'm trusting you to bring me the light in your way and in your time. One more quote from this book, Bo Stern. I love this. She says, let's be clear. Sorrow is not sin, and gratitude does not cancel grief. Sometimes we say, oh, I can, but I have so much to be thankful for. I shouldn't feel sad. I have so many things to be thankful for. And yes, we do, but that doesn't cancel the pain and the loss and the dark places. And sorrow is not sin. I'd like to return once more to the words spoken by Zacharias, echoing Isaiah chapter 9. I love that God gave this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And here we are on December 12, 2021. It's for us. Just a slightly different version than I read last time. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Mercy, light, peace. Mercy, light, and peace. That is the message of Christmas made possible through Jesus Christ. To him be all the glory. And so we ask ourselves these questions as we will move forward into this new week. Am I cultivating relationships with people of generations other than my own? With the holidays coming, there's a good chance we might see some youngers or olders more than typical. Am I open to a sacred assignment? Is there something God might stir me to do as an expression of love or encouragement to someone older or younger than me within my family or beyond? And then finally, will I invite Jesus into my dark places this Christmas, believing him to light the way even when the night is long? So I'd like to close with prayer. Lord, I want to say thank you for the noise of the little people out back, or in the back, their joy. I thank you for that. I thank you for your word, Lord, that speaks so specifically to our lives. God, thank you for your love. I pray particularly tonight, God, that you will be stirring in us an excitement for the generation-to-generation generation, um, dynamic that you have designed, and also, God, if we're in a place tonight that feels dark, you'll speak a fresh sense of your presence, a fresh sense that the, the dawn will come. You do see us and you care. We trust you in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.